0: The search for who we are. There is only one true God. How do you know if the God you look up to exists at all? And it is a He, is it not? Do you know how He is put together and configured? Will He survive even a routine inspection by science, theology, and philosophy? And how do you assemble and configure yourself into the thing called holy and alive? Are you not what Jesus spoke about when he said, you are supposed to be alive, but in reality you are dead? I cannot remember a time when I did not have a difficult relationship with God. I have a strong feeling that he felt the same about me. We loved intensely and hated each other with a passion when we did not act as expected. In time, when the love became cold, there was indifference all around. In 2004, questions about God's real usefulness confronted me again during the long Easter weekend. Easter runs from Thursday to Tuesday the following week. I was loitering at home on the Thursday afternoon when one of my children, Monde, convinced me that we needed cake. We drove to the store where I wandered aimlessly while Monde was picking up the cake and a few other items. As I walked around the store, I noticed a man dressed in protective clothing, apparently trying to decide whether to buy a chicken or maize rice for porridge. I realized that the man and his family were facing a bleak Easter weekend, ruled by hunger. Now there I was, buying cake. Let them eat cake. Mary Antoinette's words echoed through my mind. Being here and buying cake, I was displaying my own poor understanding of the plight of many people in the world. Given a heart to act, I threw a few food items into two bags hoping to finish before the men left the store. After giving the bags to Monde to give to the men, as because I could not trust myself to do it completely without breaking down in public. We went home. I spent the weekend occupied with thoughts of what many of my fellow humans had to cope with. Later that year, my fragile faith suffered yet another blow. My own sister, a friend I grew up adoring, died in mysterious circumstances. It did not help God's case that she died in church. This time I was angry, and angry thoughts came back towards a God inconsistent with reason. What the hell, I thought. Does God really exist? If he is not sleeping on the job, is he at all troubled about what happens to humans? In time, my anger was replaced by the need for answers. These questions troubled me so much that by the end of 2004, I had lost interest in my work and career. I needed answers. Picking up my family, I moved house and headed east, making Pumalanga my home for the next 15 years. While in Pumalanga, I read every book I could find on logic or theology. It did not take me long to conclude that there is a creator, but he is not in the list what we imagine him to be. After careful investigation and study, I also established that science had formulated a working theory that unveils the one true God, the creator of the universe. Even though science had formulated these ideas that are capable of describing the smallest to the largest cosmic structures, science was none the wiser about what it had uncovered. Science proved dependable in explaining the forces at play at the origins of the universe, its structure, evolution, and ultimate destiny. Science remained aloof and was either indifferent or unconscious about what it had found. If religion were on taking terms with science, in the words of Carl Sagan, religion would say, the universe is bigger than our prophets said, Grander, more subtle, and more elegant. God must even be greater than we dreamed. Instead, they say, No, 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 my God is a little God, and I want him to stay that way. End of quote. Upon further reflection on science, theology, and philosophy, I became convinced that the God of modern religion could not be real. That God does not exist because... He does not correspond to known facts. Modern religion plays so fast and loose with the truth that it merely produces a more enlightened conviction of its own ignorance. How do you come on the divine ticket and spew out so much hatred against differently abled persons? A smoking gun could probably give a better account of itself on the harm against the defenseless and vulnerable. The modern church is all about self-propagation. As a species, we have become such a danger to ourselves. But we are a very young species, having evolved a mere 3.2 million years ago from Lucy, the incomplete female skeleton found in eastern Ethiopia in 1974. Yet, we have so messed up the environment that from 2030 upwards, the planet may not be able to sustain life. The dinosaurs, on the other hand, had 160 million years and they became extinct, probably because the planet became unsuitable to live in. Yet the dinosaurs may be more proficient at life than we would ever be. Our future is in our hands and it depends on how well we understand the cosmos, our creator and ourselves. In 2018, I published my thoughts in a book entitled The Unknown God, His Image and Likeness. Since then, I have had more time to reflect on God and the cosmos, and before the end of 2019, I intend to release an updated edition of that same book, with a visual graphic presentation of my thoughts. In the meantime, every week, starting with this podcast, I will be releasing free of charge portions of that book, The Unknown God. In the current podcast series, however, I want to attempt to answer the following questions. 1. Who are we? 2. Who or what is God? 3. What is the purpose of creation? And 4. What is grace? The ability of God given to humans. Come join me. We shall approach these questions from three schools of thoughts. Philosophy, Science and Theology. These three disciplines match our nature, mind, body, and spirit, respectively. They are also a parallel to the Hebrews' conception of a cosmos as consisting of the heavens, the earth, and the water under the earth, a three-story concept of the universe. We can understand ourselves and our Creator much better if we understand how the cosmos is put together. Science, philosophy, and theology are our special tools. We shall begin our search by appealing first to theology to disclose our nature. At the same time, we will knock hard on the doors of science to unwrap the human genome. We shall also reason with philosophy and try to find common ground with the two other schools of thought. As you can imagine, this could take more than one book. We are in no rush. The subject of our existence deserves that much attention. Thereafter, we shall tackle the big subject of God and the reasons for our creation. We shall explore grace, the power of God conferred on humans to accomplish the purpose that God set before us. Many religions believe that God is not open to understanding and explanation because God, according to them, does not want his ways known. But God disagrees. Here is what God had to say about this. And I will give them a heart to know me as Jehovah, and will have them for my people, and they shall have me for their God, because they shall turn back to me with all their hearts. In addition, God has also accused us of stupidity, saying we have no interest in knowing him. He says, For the shepherds are stupid. They don't seek the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered, and their whole flock is scattered. Nevertheless, a daunting and lofty effort lies ahead. We have a lot going for us because today, almost every person on the planet, resources permitting, has sufficient access to records and information To make the mystery in the fields of science, theology, and philosophy rational. With nearly as much information as the President of the United States of America, no names please, at our fingertips, we are sure of success in the future. We shall knock hard on the doors of science, religion, and philosophy, and ask them to reveal their secrets about our Creator and about us more clearly. Now more than ever, we remain confident that the problems and threats facing our generation are capable of clearer definition. There is only this requirement. Objective facts and rational understanding are important. We shall venture informed opinions where there are no facts available. However, doing as science does, when we make our conclusions, we shall be sure to separate fact from speculation. The first question we must deal with is, who are we? There are methods to knowing and explaining things. The one method is the synthesis principle. The method teaches, open quote, each part only becomes fully clear when seen in relation to all the rest, close quote. We can know ourselves ourselves This principle argues if we have more information on our surroundings. A similar theory, the theory of relativity, says that you can know what you are by comparing yourself to another thing that is not you. People can define themselves relative to each other, for example, and in relation to other things. We can also know who we are in relation to God because... There is enough information available on our Creator for us to infer reasonable conclusions about our own nature. In the first place, we know that all humans came from the lineage of Adam, a person created male and female, two witnesses in one body. In the first chapter of Genesis, Adam existed male and female, perfect and complete as the image and likeness of God. In that first chapter of Genesis, God created Adam male and female. It is important that we make sense of the mystery surrounding the ability of Eve to bring a competent lawsuit in the cosmic courts. In terms of the laws of nature and the laws of love, that is, the royal law showing prejudice is a violation of all the laws and of the Mosaic covenant. Here is a brief account of Eve. Eve only makes an appearance in the second chapter of Genesis as a fit and corresponding mate to Adam. Before the creation of Eve, the Creator makes it clear that there would be created a helper comparable to Adam. Thus, as Eve exists, she is male and female, whole and complete, a perfect image and likeness of god adam's as well as eve's twofold nature is a fact and it is restated formally and with gravity in the fifth chapter of genesis when the account of generations of adam is given and i quote this is the book
1: of the generations of adam in the day that god created man in the likeness of god made he him male and female created he them and bless them, and call their name Adam, in the day when they were created.
0: Adam represents all humanity, and whenever his name is used, it refers either as the name of the first man, or of the human race, generally. Humanity's twofold nature comes from the Spirit of God, which resided first in Adam. It became part of Eve, who existed through the rib of Adam. It became part of Eve who existed through the rib from Adam. This is how the Spirit of God came into Adam and passed on to Eve in what became the institution of marriage. It also was a confirmation of humankind's twofold nature since Eve had resided in Adam and come from him. In biology, the science that studies living organisms Cells make a replica of themselves in a process by which a cell divides into two daughter cells. During this process, genetic stability remains a property of all known organisms. When the chromosomes
1: of a cell double themselves in the process
0: of cell division, their
1: DNA molecules divide in such a way that the two chains of the double helix separate and each of them serves as a template for the construction of a new complementary chain. This self-replication takes place with amazing fidelity. The frequency of copying mistakes or mutations is roughly
0: 1 in 10 billion. Apart from what God had said, how do we confirm whether the twofold nature was in Adam in the first place? More importantly, how do we know that the twofold nature extends immortality to a mortal man made from clay. Let us go back to the sixth day when God created humankind. God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then he proceeded to make and not create earthling men. The Hebrew word for to make also translates as to press or squeeze. Scripture uses this verb to describe a tenth, a process that describes in biology what happens during cell division. This is a process of reproduction and growth as described above when a cell makes a replica of itself. The book of Ezekiel tells of the story of two sisters, Israel and Judah. One nation from the same ancestor. These two prostituted themselves in Egypt, which is a metaphor for Earth, and had their breasts squeezed, and their virgin bosoms were fondled. They were mine, declared the true God, who never gave up the right to point out the kinship relation between Him and His creatures as the Father of creation. They are. God said, subject to me as her lawful husband. Still childless virgins, their names were Ahola, a name that means she has her own tent, the elder, and Aholibah, a woman of her tent, her sister. Aholibah is a metaphor for Jerusalem, the adulterous wife of Jehovah. The expression squeezed translates as tenth, and in the case of the creation of Adam, it signifies the perfection of divine order, as ten is illustrative of the full count system. Thus ten represents the completeness of order, making the entire round of anything, and it implies that nothing is wanting, that the number and order are perfect, that the whole cycle is complete. Here is how we know that God passed his entire essence to humankind at creation. When a
1: cell replicates, it passes on not only the new replicated DNA double helix, but also a full set of the necessary enzymes, as well as membranes and other cellular structures. In short, the entire cellular network.
0: Adam, whose name means red soil, was the first of his generation to come from the soil. Thereafter, Adam was the cause from where the animal organization in its diversified forms advanced. After taking dust from the ground, God had exhaled into Adam's nostrils a breath of life, and the human being became a living soul. In the Greek language, the expression breath upon conveys the activity of the communication of the Holy Spirit, a process of connection allowing access to information between God and the human being. The recipient may then be able to enter or go into all truth and know the destiny of the world and humankind. When Jesus appeared to his disciples in private, he blew on the disciples and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is a symbolical conveyance of the Spirit transmitting also the divine nature of Jesus. Spirit allows the recipient to then, open quote, enter into an inheritance, close quote. The act is like entering an inner sanctuary. Here, as Jesus blew the Spirit on the disciples, he restored their original nature, and like Adam, they became living souls. The creation of Eve could not have violated this process. For what? The bones in Ezekiel, upon receiving the same spirit, also came to life, even though they were dead, becoming a new creation, from the twofold Lord God. The same expression, "breathe upon, comes from the Hebrew word translating as to puff, and signified what Scripture calls a twofold hope. To have a twofold hope is to have a hope for a heavenly return, the return of the same kind as Adam's original nature, which is the likeness and image of God. It is a desire for the resurrection, which is the ultimate destiny of humankind and the world. Those who receive the Spirit become the original historians like Adam. Adam transmitted to Eve the image of God in which he was created. Eve then also became an original historian, with a duty upon her to discuss matters from every side, the good and bad, left and right, and to take the trouble with details. God, who had given his power to humans by breathing into them, Said it shall cause the downfall of any king or nation that puts forth a hand to act otherwise and damage that house of God at Jerusalem, that is the human body. The warning comes from the interpretation of the root expression, twofold hope, and applies especially to all those intent on dehumanizing the woman by depriving the woman and others of their divinity. The inferiority of the woman inferred from biblical texts is a metaphorical expression referring to all humans. In the book of Jeremiah, God called on humanity to commit to memory a map of the road to return to original nature, which is a type of rebirth. Setting up guideposts, humans were expected to remember their way back into the womb, a place of innocence and purity. God's promised restoration would ensure virgin Israel returned to her town, her place of origin. The restoration would be so remarkable that it would be as if God created a new thing on earth. The expression, a woman will surround a man from scripture, lends itself to various interpretations. All these interpretations points to the proverbial reference to humankind as women. The biblical woman is virgin Israel. A more plausible interpretation points to the evolution of the daughter of Zion who would evolve into a heavenly Jerusalem, ruling the nations with God as the Lord of Lords. The example is Jesus, who took the same evolutionary path like all humanity, and became the ruler of nations with God. In the context, the woman is the human, and the man is Jehovah, a husband. All humans, therefore, have the title daughter or woman, and humans are the equivalent of a village or a small town as opposed to a large, densely populated municipality or mother city. To the ancient Hebrew, a daughter is one still covered in darkness, seeking God for deliverance to Christhood or womanhood. Deliverance is at the gates of what the Psalms of David call the daughter of Zion. Deliverance, deliverance is at the gates of what the Psalms of David calls the daughter of Zion. This represents a title far different from the heavenly Jerusalem. The Aramaic language used in the Bible designates to humans the same Hebrew word describing the word daughter. This title applies to all people who have the quality of being physical, consisting of matter, as opposed to God and beings belonging to heaven. The term daughter, and even woman, in the case of Jerusalem, is a reference to all mortal persons. In the book of Isaiah, the two terms have a particular application to the populations of earth where the women of Zion, an indirect reference to all humans, are arrogant. These women walk with their noses in the air making insidious glances. As a result, they only take short little evolutionary steps. The two terms then, a daughter and woman, apply to all humankind going through the process of evolution. Briefly, let us look at how the Bible defines the Creator's daughter, the human being, by finding out who Rebecca is. In the book of Genesis, when Rebecca's identity is under investigation, her answers reveal our very own nature. Through the name of Rebecca, we are learning that humans must busy themselves with the work of redeeming their souls.
1: The redemption
0: of the soul is a simple notion, but a difficult task. It only requires that we return to our original nature. When we succeed, we become the daughter who holds a universal invitation to the great royal marriage feast, the so-called Lord's Supper. The royal marriage feast is the banquet where there is an exchange of formal communications of messages of great importance. At the banquet, our own very nature, the nature of the universe and its creator, becomes self-evident. All of life, then, is a preparation for this banquet, which is a momentous occasion of great significance. The banquet proposition represents the happiness of the coming messianic kingdom to the human individual transforming the estranged human ego into a heavenly guest. At his own configuration, Jesus implored us to remember the occasion and to share it with others because this is how the kingdom of God comes to us, that is, to keep at uniting our two natures through forgiveness until that day the kingdom of God manifests. Bible scholars have said that it was the point of transition between two economies and their two great festivals. The one about to close forever, the other immediately to open and run its majestic career until from earth it be transferred to heaven. The economy that is doomed for permanent closure is the rule of the human ego. Being human then is a marker of transition and the beginning of the transitional passage. During this transitional period, we are not even women, but a daughter in the process of evolution. The preparation for the feast begins with the harvest and winnowing of grain, a metaphor for separating falsehood from truth. In humans, this represents the rejection of a human ego, thus restoring the whole person to health. That is all that is required, nothing more. Rebecca's name, like all names in the Judeo-Christian religion, are definitive and convey a certain meaning. Her name is the Arab language pointing to, open quote, a looped cord for tying young animals, close quote. This is a reference to our human nature, young as untrained as an animal. Her name also means team, or yoke, and in the language of Syria, it means thrashing. Her name here signifies the daily routine of humankind, that is the harvesting and winnowing of grain. And this evokes images of the Lord's supper, the wine press and the threshing floor, and points to the salvation of the human soul where we try to get back to our divine nature, which is deliverance. In the ancient world, the threshing floors were used to separate edible grain from the external coverings. Accomplished by at least two animals yoked or teamed together, these beasts worked on the harvest. They used a level outdoor area, symbolic of external activity, in our world, and this was for threshing grain and threshing it into bundles laid out and having the animals dragging a heavy object over them. Because the threshing floors were often located on top of a rock, this symbolized the refinement of the human condition in the body personified by the atomic clay or rock. In other examples, removing husks from corn is done by grinding the harvest between a top and a lower stone, representing the spirit and the body respectively. It is also known as the rider and the horse, which is a chariot. Threshing is part of the harvesting process, a process the Bible uses. To represent the high point of dealing with a human soul for salvation. When a soul can separate the wheat from the useless material consisting of seed coverings, it rejoices over a good harvest. In this sense, threshing usually exemplifies divine judgment, an attribute of God. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he gathered with his twelve apostles. The twelve represents the twelve attributes of God. Jesus had gone to Jerusalem to celebrate the last valid Passover, having dismissed the traitorous Judas, who represented the human ego. The twelve disciples each constitute a distinguished character of God. With the twelve qualities, Jesus, who, being in the form of God then, thought it not robbery, to be equal to God, because he carried in his being the power of God, the Supreme Being, the Eternal and Infinite Spirit, the Creator and Ruler of the universe. The act of separating falsehoods from truth was the centerpiece of the Lord's Supper, and we are to keep doing this in remembrance of our own function here on earth by consecrating bread and wine making them holy. The bread and wine are symbolic of our body and spirit nature, respectively. They are, according to scripture, our Adam and Eve nature, respectively. This is because Adam is a red earth, while Eve is spirit. This act of making one whole is the human being, the congregation of God, in whom is the assembly of all the 12 attributes of God into one body. This is the unity of body and spirit. The bread and wine into a congregation, a place that is made holy. Many people incorrectly think of a church as a building for religious services. This kind of so-called church is a new invention by man as there is no scriptural basis for it. Would it not be supreme irony if the windows of heaven are shut tight, especially on the days when most humans choose to go on their knees to howl at God in prayer? Most people behave as morons during the week, willing and dealing, but not on Sundays. On Sundays they wake up early, get dressed, and go up to church for another shouting and yelling session with God. On Monday, they are back to being jackasses. Haven't you heard? God has made it clear where and how he may be reached. Be silent, all mankind,
1: all people everywhere, before the Lord, for he is located at his holy dwelling place.
0: In Zechariah, God is represented as coming forth from his heavenly temple to occupy the earthly sanctuary that his people have prepared for him. A sanctuary not made by human hands. Rebecca then, is our first step on how we should view ourselves and how we answer the question, Who are you? We shall also learn how to constitute ourselves into God's prepared dwelling place, the church. We know Rebekah as the wife of Isaac and the mother of Jacob and Esau the two twins resembling our binary nature, which is divine and human. When her identity was questioned, Rebecca presented her full credentials and introduced her family into the presence of her future in-laws. The Nguni peoples of Southern Africa have a tradition called Ubuntu. This is a way of life grounded on the notion that umuntu-gumuntu-gabantu, that is, I am because you are. An offshoot of this principle is the understanding that you are known only as someone else's child. You are not your own. Rebecca realized this and she introduced her entire lineage to her visitor. The senior servant of Abraham, his house officer, had taken an oath that in seeking a bride for Isaac, there would be two conditions. The first, he would not allow Isaac to marry someone from Canaan, a place also known as the low region, both of religion and morals. The Canaanites were a wicked, cruel, and rebellious people, cursed by God. The second condition was Isaac will join in equal amounts to a wife having a help meet for him, a partner who would be his equal in every sense of the word. It would have been unwise for Isaac to be attracted to a Canaanite woman or adopt their pagan religion. God had called for the destruction of all inhabitants of Canaan, warning Israel to let nothing that breathes remain alive, and to make no compact or agreement with the Canaanites nor show any mercy to them. Abraham. Confident in the promise of God, took the responsibility of selecting a wife for Isaac before he died. He would organize his affairs and find a wife for his only son. God would then fulfill his covenant promises to bless him with many descendants and give those descendants Canaan for their inheritance. Abraham knew the ritual had to be in harmony with this divine promise of a posterity Numerous and great both. This is how the promise would pass on to the next generation. The ritual became a well-known practice. It dramatically represents the marriage of the bridegroom whose bride is the new Jerusalem. Abraham was careful to entrust this delicate mission to his servant. This servant, thought to be Eliezer, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. A good and faithful servant, sent by the father of a great multitude, which is what Abraham's name was. Numerous and great, both. This whole event is a picture of the heavenly father getting a bride for his son.
1: Whose daughter are you? Please tell me whether there is room in your father's house for us to spend the night.
0: In answer, Rebecca pronounced the attributes that make up the ideal human, we ought to aspire to be. In addition to these attributes, Rebecca said she was in a position to provide, open quote, both straw and feed enough and room to lodge, close quote. Yet these attributes merely prepare a person for what to do next. Observe Jean-Paul Sartre. Open quote, he says, there is no predetermined character which makes you who you are. Who you are is a function of what you do, Close quote. I shall deal with this function performed by Jesus in the next session. Rebecca said she was a daughter of Bethuel, whose name means the abode or dwelling of God. That is, she is the result of God expanding his kingdom, a permanent place where God dwells. Rebecca's introduction of herself and her family is illuminating. It is a description of who we are. Bethuel himself was Milka's son, a name that means Chaldean Council. The Chaldeans were associated with the finest minds in the ancient world. They were skilled in interpretations and were, open quotes, children in whom there was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom. And cunning in knowledge. Close quote. They had a good grasp and understanding of science with an ability in them to stand before the Creator to be serving in the King's palace. By invoking such a prestigious family name with this illustrious ancestry, Rebecca presented a picture of a wholly unified person rooted in wisdom. The ancient Hebrew also views the human as a twofold unit. A person is, according to this notion, the product of a union of a body and mind. These two join through a third aspect, spirit. It is the spirit which holds the body and mind together. The soul is the fourth aspect, and it is the sum of the three together of the body, the mind, and the spirit. This is important to clarify since many people incorrectly believe that the body is a covering for the soul. It is actually the other way around. The soul is the protective cover for the body, as shown in the infograph below. In this form, the human resembles an atom, the mini-universe. Every atom is made of smaller bits of matter. In the infographic below, the atom is shown as a threefold unit it is the twofold nucleus and the electron. Here is how the atom is set up. Deep inside the atom, hidden far beneath the electron cloud, is the nucleus. The nucleus is made of positively charged protons and electrically neutral neutrons. We know that similar charges strongly repel each other. Electrons repel electrons, protons repel protons. The nucleus is able to stick together because there is a short range nuclear force binding the protons and neutrons and thereby overcomes the electrical repulsion among the protons. On the outside of the nucleus, there is an electron circulating around the nucleus. In humans, this same short-range nuclear force binding the protons and neutrons is the spirit of God which is in human beings. The protons and neutrons are the male and female, the image and likeness of God within humans. According to this conception, the soul, or electron, constitutes the unity of a human person. The human atom, enclosed by the electron, has the same form and order as a galaxy, the biggest known structure in the universe. Our galaxy, for example, is one of a hundred billion galaxies and a billion trillion stars. We share a number of attributes with the universe in this manner. Like people, stars, planets and galaxies are born, live and die. Evolution is a fact, not a theory. Here we see there is an infinite hierarchy in the universe, so that a human being, an electron, in our universe compares well side by side with a galaxy and should reveal itself as an entire closed universe. The human being, the whole person, the body, breath and mind is a mini-galaxy. Adam changes states evolving from ordinary clay at creation to living clay and finally to a living soul. When we compare the atom to an egg, we would see a similar pattern, a chicken egg. The thin-shelled reproductive body laid by a female bird goes through the same process of evolution before producing a living soul, the chick. The egg consists of a shell, the egg white, and a yolk. An egg, like a human being, is also a living system, a replica of the cosmos. All three parts receive extremely high temperatures, as the hen gathers her eggs under her wings. It takes seven days to heat each of the three parts of the egg to perfection. Twenty-one days in all are required for a chick to emerge from the threefold egg. The imagined egg coming into existence is the living soul, being the fourth part of a threefold egg. For a different understanding of all living systems, let us now turn to chemistry. Chemistry is the branch of science that studies living systems, the composition of substances, their properties and reactions. Scientists have observed in chemistry that all of life's living systems maintain a state of existence requiring the continuous conversion of different forms of energy. They have described a tendency of nature to self-correct and to return to order in two theories. The first is a theory of self-creation, also called self-organization, and the other is a theory of dissipative structures. If a living system had to behave the same as humans, the system would be unviable because a dysfunction would change the integrity of the system, and it would die. To prevent this, all living systems maintain a continual flow of energy to restore structures as fast as they are decaying and disintegrating. On a related matter, allow me to express my utter despair at the continued dumbing down of education, particularly in South Africa. This is of major concern because it works against the cosmic agenda. Some souls are unable to develop and evolve in the same way as souls in developed Countries evolve. Every atom must fulfill its destiny through growth. Proper education, otherwise known in scripture as the bread of life, allows persons to go through a process of evolution through conception, assessment, understanding, application, and thinking back. This is analytical thinking. evaluation lack of proper instruction deprives many people the ability to get through normal evolution as a result many souls remain trapped at the same station for billions of years the 24 causes for priests and we are all priests of the most high said by king david are compulsory for everyone Causeless delays results in the overpopulation we see in the world today. The overpopulation threatens the survival of our species and the planet. In this context, the Apartheid government and the African National Congress government are in willful abandonment of duties as part of the governing order of the cosmos. Through education, the state must have as its aim the highest possible development of the talents of the humans. Between the apartheid government and the ANC government, there is capability, probably running into billions of souls trapped in devolution, which is the opposite of evolution. The ANC has had close to three decades to improve the standard of education. Instead of moving forward, the Department of Education keeps dropping standards. The Nationalist Party had introduced the policy of bantu education to buttress white privilege and subjugate black development by the unjust use of state authority and power. The ANC has now lost the moral ground against apartheid. On the 1st of October 2019, I received this text message which I released unedited. From a colleague and close friend I have known for three decades. Allow me to deviate and then you charge for yourself.
1: I have read quite a few comments to the effect that the ANC's intention to have grade 9 as an exit level is an indication that it prefers an illiterate electorate. I can't argue against that. I am convinced that the ANC prefers an uninformed electorate. I think it also prefers an electorate steeped in poverty so that voters depend on social grants which can be manipulated in order to produce certain voting patterns. But regarding Grade 9 becoming an exit point in the education system, I want to put on the table another possibility as well. I don't know how true this is, but around 1999, I did research on the implementation of socio-economic rights in South Africa. Part of the literature I consulted suggested that during the Kempton Park negotiations, the SA Law Commission put draft legislation on the table for consideration in drawing up the Constitution. One of the draft clauses provided for free and compulsory education. The literature suggested that the ANC opposed the part about free, but endorsed the part about compulsory. Have you ever wondered why in South Africa we have compulsory education up to age 15 or grade 9, whichever happens first, but that education is not free? Now I guess we are all familiar with the perennial strikes at our universities around the issue of user fees. I guess we are all familiar with hashtag fees must fall. In the twilight of his presidential term, Zuma promised South Africans free tertiary education he was fully aware of how his party had brought South Africa Pty Limited to the brink of bankruptcy. He was aware that the ANC would never be able to deliver on that promise. The university strikes were evidence enough that the existing NASFAS was already inadequate to meet the demand. But of course he was never going to preside over the non-implementation of the promise he made. But still, the problem must be addressed. It seems to me that Angie's plan is geared at addressing the problem. If South Africa flushes out of the education system millions of learners at the point of grade 9, there will be that much less learners to worry about at university level. What are your thoughts? Manza 1
0: October 2019 I am still stunned and have no thoughts to add to this. The state of poor education will affect countless generations long after this crop of leadership is forgotten. Liberation movements, especially in Africa, have shown a lack of nobility in character, quality and purpose. They have become an extension of the curse of colonialism. But I digress. Unlike the human beings, a natural living system has a reciprocal relationship to all objects, individual and groups in the entire environment. The system, in order to stay alive, makes sure to remain connected to the entire environment because it survives on the continual flows of matter and energy coming from the same environment. Continually repairing and perpetuating itself, the system necessarily operates far from equilibrium where new structures and new forms of order may spontaneously emerge thus leading to development and evolution. Let us now turn our attention to probably the most basic and fundamental definition of who we are. This definition applies to the cosmos, the creator, and to us. It is this definition of the ark. It is the definition of the ark, and it has three defining characteristics, box, order, and light. A few remarks, and then in the next podcast, I will deal with the essence. For the ancient Hebrew, the human is an ark and a place of order. It is similar to the ark of Noah and to Moses the man. The human ark has the same patterns of self-generating networks described by science as a defining characteristic of all life. Moses was born at a time when the ruling Pharaoh of Egypt had ordered the death of all male infants born to the Hebrew women. When Moses' mother was no longer able to hide him, she made an ark for him and sealed it with bitumen and pitch, and she set it among the reeds along the edge of the Nile River. Bitumen is a type of liquid pitch that boils up out of the earth and swims on the surface of the water like a black oil substance. In time, it thickens into a harmonious uniformity of substance after exposure to air. The bitumen would have ensured that no water was allowed into the ark to drown it or flood it. Here we see the similarity between Noah's ark and Moses, the human. Moses' mother had hoped that a sympathetic woman would discover and rescue the infant. Indeed that is what happened. The daughter of Pharaoh rescued Moses and unwittingly hired Moses' own mother to take care of him. Even though the Pharaoh had ordered to kill all Hebrew male babies, Moses is not only saved but is brought right into Pharaoh's household to be raised. As the adopted grandson of the Pharaoh, Moses became a remarkable human being educated in all the learnings of the Egyptians. With natural leadership qualities groomed right under the Pharaoh's nose, Moses became a man of power in words and deeds, having benefited from the most comprehensive education in the ancient world, which made him uniquely qualified for his task of freeing the children of Israel from all forms of slavery. Egypt is a symbol of all the bitterness and suffering in the world. The Hebrew word for ark is similar to the name of Aaron, the brother and companion of Moses, in the project against the enslavement of the children of Israel in Egypt. The ark holding the body of Moses is a representation of the human body. Together with Aaron, we see the dual nature of all humanity brought to bear upon all forms of suffering a means of surviving the flood waters because these defining characteristics of alive also find expression through the ark of Noah. Noah received deliverance from the flood because he maintained the natural order of things. God had asked him to observe the natural order of things by making sure that he brought into the ark two of every sort of living thing of all flesh and to keep them alive with him. God was unequivocal. He said, Bring with you and keep alive two of every sort of every living thing of all flesh, male and female, clean and unclean. In this way, Noah maintained the pattern of self-generating networks and survived the floods. Here we see that who you are is a function of what you do. Noah was the expression of what Jesus would call alive. The Sadducees were assembled as a church of according to Jesus lifeless profession. And just like most humans they had a reputation for thinking that that congregation was alive. Jesus chastised them for their mindless religion saying open quote I know your record and what you are doing, you are supposed to be alive, but in reality, you are dead. Close quote. Odom is a red stone from the first row of the breastpiece of the high priest. It is ascertained to originate from Sardis of Lydia. The name Odom or Sardis certainly means a red stone, coming from the root word Adam. It is the same as, open quote, taken out of the red earth. To the patriarch Job, Odem is the spirit in humankind.
1: But I see I was wrong. It's God's spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty One, that makes wise human insight possible. The experts have no corner on wisdom. Getting old doesn't guarantee good sense.
0: It is against this background that Jesus was saying to mankind, the church of Sadis, you are not assembled correctly. Because in the New Testament, the appearance of God is likened to two stones of great significance, the jasper, which is royal blue or purple, and the sardine, the stone that is orange-red. The Sardis church, as they say, open quote, needed God in their lives, close quote. Here the blue stone is Moses, and Aaron the orange-red stone that confronted Pharaoh. Our body not only assembles as an ark, but it is a reflection of the planet. The body, like the planet, is covered by 70% water, with the rest as dust of earth. While Noah might have faced a literal flood, we are drowning in misery the ark is any box used to store items and to keep those items in order. The definition of an ark includes the gathering of any objects kept in a box, place, or any other container for maintaining order. Such boxes include a stock for confining livestock or a portable enclosure or basket in which babies play, and also a correctional institution for those convicted of crimes. The notion of a box includes the entire cosmos. Cosmos is a Greek word for the order of the universe. When science studied the galaxies, they saw a pattern of universal order and beauty from the smallest to the largest structures. There is order in the universe and order is the opposite of chaos. The scientists also marveled at what was revealed to them as chaotic violence on a scale not imagined even in a dream. Science found it remarkable that a universal order with such violence that destroys galaxies, stars, and worlds even permits life. Yet this dual nature of order and chaotic violence, is the yin and yang holy order of the cosmos. Science saw how this mix of violence and beauty lends perfect balance to the universe, concluding that the universe is neither benign nor hostile. It is, according to Carl Sagan, open quote, merely indifferent to the concerns of such puny creatures as we, Close quote. Humans are not the center of the universe. The sun does not rotate around earth. Humans and earth need gods to evolve. Humans must be the example of order set by God and the cosmos. These are good examples of light and order. Other than humans, every living organism in nature has maintained the significance and order given to it at creation. This order is lacking in human beings because of the division between body, mind, and spirit. This is what scripture calls spiritual death. It is evidenced by the domination of the ego mind over spirit and the suppression of one of our masculine or feminine nature. The mindlessness of religion has men wanting to be holy and so are killing each other just to get into heaven. We have no clue what holy means. Any box shaped object like the ark, patterned after the order God gave to Moses and King David, is holy. It is ordered wholeness. And light is a distinguishing feature of the ark. And God is life and light. Saint Paul, writing to Corinthians, said, open quote, May he The God of peace sanctify you to perfection, and your spirits and souls and bodies be kept faultlessly safe and sound at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Close quote. Moses also cautioned about the neglect of our other nature, most certainly the feminine nature, saying this results in spiritual death. Open quote. He said, And he that smiteth his father, or his mother shall be surely put to death close quote there are women today in an attempt to balance the morally unrestrained male aspect in humans end up killing their feminine nature becoming more toxic than men when Adam the person made from clay received the breath of life exhaled into his nostrils Adam the human became a living soul In humans, the upper body and the lower body also constitute our dual nature. Even before Adam received the breath of life, he existed in bodily form and was twofold. He was in complete balance until he believed the lies of the serpent and started having evil enjoyment of the power to disobey. He could not balance or counteract evil with good, He was having evil enjoyment. The book of Genesis traces the line of the promised seed, the Messiah, as being in the direct line of the ancestry stretching from Adam and Eve. This line of ancestry ends with the Anointed One, the Christ, who is our potential nature in the book of Matthew. Christ, as the expected Savior, is the Anointed One who is above mere humans. Humankind, therefore, can evolve from Adam or Eve to the Christ person. Note that I said the Christ. This is a title that describes any person who regenerates himself or herself to the level of Jesus Christ. These are the individuals who have accepted and hold the assertion offering first-hand authentication of the human divinity assumed by Jesus. They are the true church in her beauty and unity. It is by intention that the line of ancestry for the Messiah begins with Adam and Eve and reaches its highest point in the Messiah. The messianic line of ancestry brings together over time Literally and figuratively, Adam and Eve joining and holding two witnesses in one body to make up the church of God. God's intention was to dwell among his people. Moses had instructions for an exact and detailed pattern for building the Lord's tabernacle. The tabernacle was to be a place, a royal residence of the King of Israel. The Messiah is the anointed cherub with two wings representing the male and female. The cherub, consecrated to the Lord by anointing oil, is united in that way. The cherub is also the expansion, the way for God to extend his base to earth as it is in heaven. The tabernacle is the human body the temporary place where God will establish a base from which to extend the kingdom of heaven. The human body will be the electron or soul in which God is to dwell in the chest or ark of his people. In that place, God will receive formal messages and prayers directed to one who has the power and the right to give orders and make decisions regarding all matters affecting humans all prayers emanate from this church would be honored. The human body shall be a house of prayer and not a religious bazaar and hangout for thieves, Jesus had said. From this human tabernacle, God would receive petition from people and give his responses directly to them about their prayers. The human body was to be that place of worship, that is, a place where his people would evaluate the worth or substance of God. At that place, God was to record all knowledge about him, knowledge of all the amazing acts and events associated with his character. The sum of his qualities will allow humans to form an estimate of the value of God. From this tabernacle, the human body, God has preserved to be cherished all the sacred secrets that are beyond human comprehension. This is a sanctuary available to each person from qualities that are inherent in everyone and are a natural endowment from God. God gave Moses and later King David the pattern for the successful construction of this tabernacle. These two received specific instructions concerning the tabernacle, and a system of religious beliefs and rituals concerning this sanctuary. They are stated here simply as the act of acknowledging our twofold nature and recognizing that holiness in others as well as in ourselves. The African custom Ubuntu is a way of life that meets all the requirements of the natural law. Every individual meets all the requirements of the natural law by acknowledging the human dignity of another, seeing them as complete. It is characteristic in the classical greeting, Saniborn. Loosely translated, the greeting means the God in me sees the God in you. We affirm our inner wholeness, that is, recognizing the equality between the inner Adam and Eve by extending it to others on the outside, the same equal status we hold about ourselves. No one is under any obligation to building the sanctuary, but it remains an open invitation to the people to take up or reject the offer. We are, in effect, individual parts of the sanctuary built so that God may dwell and associate His presence and power with human beings. The sanctuary is to accommodate God's presence in humans. We are, therefore, a way for God to extend His power and, in that way, a way for God to know Himself as evolving from a puny individual to a Godhead. Each person succeeding is given a planet to rule. When Jesus said, In my Father's house there are many mansions, he was referring to the more than a hundred billion known galaxies. The universe, according to science, is ever expanding. And, open quote, the number of stars in the universe is greater than all the grains of sand on all the pitches of the planet Earth. Close quote. But God would not force these riches upon anyone. God accepts contributions only from those whose hearts are willing to give. The association of obedience, commands, and rules with the conception of hellfires is really tired and grossly manipulative. A human sanctuary freely constructed and meeting the specifications of Moses would go by the name of God, a title we may perceive to be emblazoned all around that sanctuary. It is a place where an individual speaks to God face to face as one speaks to a friend. In that tabernacle, there will be an ark of the testimony where, written by God, the power of God is made clear on two stone tablets. Each of the two stone tablets would contain five of the ten commandments. One of the stones would have written on it the five laws concerning God The other stone would have five laws concerning humankind. Eve, with two witnesses in one body, is the symbol of the first five stones concerning God. Eve's name means, open quote, explain, make known an interpretation of a riddle. Riddles are difficult questions decided beyond dispute only by at least two or more people gathered together. The most complex question about God and the universe can only be answered in the presence of another. In biblical times, the Queen of Sheba portrayed the role of Eve. She went and posed difficult questions to test King Solomon's reputation for wisdom. Thus, people should avoid being wise in their own understanding and conceit, but should have their wisdom tested by how they deal with other people. The Bible's usage of riddle speaks of the riddle of life, death, and redemption. Riddles, therefore, are an indirect revelation ordinarily given by God instead of the face-to-face meetings of old with Moses. Every living being has a male and female aspect inseparably connected to them naturally just as the quality of opposites defines polarity. The twofold nature is the wisdom of God, his agency and chief architect, and responsible for all the wonders and miracles attributed to God. Adam, with two witnesses in one body, is symbolic of the other five laws concerning humankind contained in the Ten Commandments. Eve and Adam are the centerpiece to the creation story, and their presence reveals the deepest significance in the ark, the mini-universe, and the big universe, God. It is in bringing our inner nature, placing them on the same level as the inner Adam, that we are able to understand the reason for life, for death, and for redemption. The two are the angels that guard the holiness of God. None of them may approach the presence of God, nor the tree of life stationed in the midst of paradise. Alone. The two together guard the presence of God, making sure that only when they return together they can gain entrance into the presence of God, which is paradise or a state of happiness. Adam and Eve together belong to a class of angels that are one whole in appearance, a whole made up of complicated but related parts. Their main task is to cut the way to God, ready to cut down to shreds anyone who tries to pass through the tree of life. Their main task is to cut the way to God, ready to cut to shreds anyone who tries to pass around the tree of life to try to access God and the state of happiness. The two, Adam and Eve, can assemble and dismantle the tabernacle only together while on their journey here on earth just as God himself does. It is for this reason that we have the Ark called the Ark of the Testimony, because, as written in God's law, only the testimony of two human beings, male or female, is true. When constructed, the Ark is a box built as if it had four walking feet, the feet bent as if walking. Adam and Eve constitute the Ark of the Testimony with four feet, Two on either side. The ark, covered with gold, has made it possible to carry the two tablets of stone as one body, Adam and Eve. Together they have the evidence and a proof of life, the state called alive. These two stones contain the Ten Commandments or written instructions on the papers of life. Jesus The man achieved this by changing his natural form from a natural person to a spiritual state, the Christ. The Last Supper was such a momentous occasion, marking that change for Jesus from a mere human to a spiritual being. The banquet is the uniting, the joining or coupling together of the internal man and woman that characterise human nature. Jesus' death on the cross correctly denotes a transition from mortal to immortality. That is why there is no death, because death, including physical death, is a rite of passage when an individual changes from one stage to the next. From this divine marriage of Adam and Eve arises a powerful individual, as noted by Shakespeare's King Richard II.
1: My loving Lord. I say goodbye to you and to my noble cousin, Lord Omo. I may die, but I am not sick. No, I am young, vigorous, and still cheerfully drawing breath. And just as I leave the best for last at the dinner table, so do I turn to you, Father, whose youthful spirit lives on in me, doth with a twofold vigour lift me up, and gives me strength in the fight to come. With your blessings on my lance, may it defeat Mowbray and add new glory to the
0: name of John of Gaunt by the deeds of his son. The Last Supper marked the attainment of the highest point of altitude reached by a heavenly body in the process changing its state from natural to a spiritual being. It brings the observance of the Passover feast to its expected climactic end. It is the attainment or arrival at the highest pitch of glory and power available to human forms. What is the Last Supper? It is an elaborate meal, often called a feast, where food and drink is served both as nourishment and as ways of saying something to each other. It is the marriage of the inner Adam and Eve, a marriage of heaven and earth. In the next podcast, We shall explore the three aspects of the ark to gain a better understanding of who we are.